All right, as you guys gather back to your seats, I want to As we gather back to our seats, I want to encourage you to grab a Bible or grab a bulletin that includes our text um, for today. Summer's a very transitional time, and so sometimes it's just, you know, where are we or what are we studying? And so I always try to inform you or inform those who haven't been here or coming back and coming and going um, where we are. We are studying the book of John as is our, not, not the book of John, but um, we are studying the book of John, and we go through the book of John almost chapter by chapter, verse by verse, not every verse, but kind of content by content. And so this morning, we come to John 14, 15 through 31. John 14, 15 through 31 is simply a continuation of what has already begun. Jesus is meeting with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, and he's about to head into the, the Garden of Gethsemane where Judas and his betrayers will come and arrest him. And so this is the last opportunity that Jesus has to speak with his disciples before all chaos ensues. And so we are um, brought into a very intimate, important moment in the ministry and in the life of the disciples. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to enter into this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples on the night he was betrayed. Hear the reading of God's word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, not the guy who betrayed him, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place. So that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. I don't know why I've always done this. I always have it, and it's in the back of my mind. But every time I leave my house, I am always saying to my wife and to my kids, I love you. I love you. It's almost 
every time, I mean, 99% of the time, I'm always saying this, and this is because that if I were to die leaving that house, the last words that I want my family to remember are the very words that are very true of my heart to them. I love you. Last words, for some reason, mean a lot to us. They really do. There was a show called How I Met Your Mother, and Kimberly and I watch it from time to time after we get the kids to sleep, and there was a whole show dedicated to the last words of one of the character's fathers, and it was clever, and it was a show that I related with because last words mean so much. Rory, I know you've been through a lot, and I think one of the most important, like, profound moments as, as Rory's grieving the loss of his mother was listening to him and his dad and his brother talk about the last words that they had with her. Last words mean a whole lot to us. And the Bible is filled with last words. It is. The book of Deuteronomy, if you don't know, are the last words that Moses gives to the people of Israel before he dies. And in John 14, what we have today in our text are in a way, and they're not the exact last words, but they're the last words that Jesus gives to his disciples before all hell breaks loose. And when I mean hell, I mean it in the very literal sense. Last words mean so much to us. And there's one particular thing that Jesus wants, the last words, and you almost have to go down to the very last section of our text to see the last words that Jesus is giving to them. And, and it's quite long, but verse 27, I'll read it again because these are the last words that Jesus gives to his disciples as he's teaching them and directing them and guiding them before he dies. He says, peace, I leave with you. Peace, I leave with you. Peace, I give to you. And then he says what, what we said before and what we preached on last week. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I'm going away and I will come to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. These are the last words that Jesus is bringing his disciples to, to hear. And the reason, we find the reason why he's telling this, because in verse 29 he says, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Essentially, when the bullets start flying over your head, you don't panic and freak out. You let not your hearts be troubled. You believe. Now, Jesus, before this particular last words, brings a great comfort to them. And the great comfort that he brings to them, the reason why we cannot let our hearts be troubled, and the reason the disciples cannot let their heart be troubled or be afraid, is because Jesus promised to the disciples the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will come. It is this Holy Spirit which gives us comfort. It is this Holy Spirit which gave the disciples the comfort in the midst of the chaos when the bullets are flying over our head. It is this Holy Spirit that Jesus says in John 16, is better that I go away so that this may come. It is the Holy Spirit, the helper, who Jesus points us to, to encourage us to not let our hearts be troubled. Regardless of the circumstances that you and I face, because Jesus promised to these disciples and then sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, all of us can take heart and not fear when the bullets start flying over our head. We typically don't make a big deal about the helper, the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of mystery. 
But indeed, Jesus points us to three particular characteristics of the helper that does bring us comfort, that does allow us to find courage in the midst of great hardship. And the three characteristics that Jesus highlights for us that we might take courage ourselves in the midst of this, that we might look to this, is that the helper empowers, the helper embraces, and the helper enlightens. Empowers, embraces, enlightens. So I wanna study these three characteristics of the Holy Spirit, that we might indeed take Jesus' words to heart, to not fear, and when the bullets start coming over our heads, we stay the ground. So let's look at these three characteristics of the helper that Jesus gives to his disciples and to us. First, the helper empowers. The helper empowers. You see, at the heart of the Christian faith, there is the necessity of obedience to God's law. Adam and Eve were commanded to keep the law of not eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was a law that was given to them. Abram was commanded to leave his country of Ur and go to a new country that God was calling him to. Moses was given the Ten Commandments and then given that to the Israelites that they might follow in God's law, that they might walk with him. And we know those laws as to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. As those are beautifully articulated in the Ten Commandments. James, the, the apostle James, says faith without works is dead. We must see before we can see the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the necessity of obedience to God's law. And four different times, Jesus tells the disciples in his last words, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, or some variation of that. It's a continuation of what the Bible has already laid out. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Obedience to God's law is necessary and required of all people. And it is of utmost importance that each and every one of us follow his law to a T. If we do, the Father will love us. It's a beautiful thing. But I don't know about you. I know about me. This is a tall order. And while I wanna try to pretty myself up, it's like trying to put makeup on a pig. I ain't that pretty. And the truth of me is that obedience comes and goes. I fall short of the, the obedience that is required. And I think Jesus knows this too. Look at verse 15 and 16, because right after Jesus says to the disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, look immediately where Jesus goes. He goes to verse 16, and he says, and, 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 and if you have the ESV, there's a period after verse 15 a lot of the times, but that period I don't think is necessary. 16 is just a continuation. Who starts an English sentence with and? Every English teacher knows that you don't start an English sentence with and, right? Why the ESV people did that, I don't know. Just remove the period. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you a helper. He will give you a helper. 
Now, what is this helper to do in light of this constant obedience that Jesus puts forth before us, that the Bible has put forth before us? What is this helper doing? And I think the answer, really trying to unpack it, not only from seeing it, but blatantly what we can see throughout the book of John is that the helper is the very person who brings us back to life. John 3, everyone knows John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and so on and so forth. It's the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. But what everyone forgets that takes place before John 3, 16, what everyone forgets is that before that statement, Jesus says, unless you are born of the spirit, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The spirit is a necessity to the obedience that is required. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples, in light of the obedience that is required, is that the Holy Spirit is the very one that empowers you to obey. Paul picks this up in Ephesians 2, and I think he articulates it very well. And I think it's, Ephesians 2 is simply just a continuation of John 3. But he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. If I'm gonna get really simple with that, Paul is basically saying the obedience is required, but you don't have the ability because you're dead. The only way that you can begin is to be born of the Spirit. And he says in verse four, but thanks be to God who's been born of us of the Spirit. This interplay between obedience and the Spirit that Jesus is weaving throughout his last words to his disciples is pointing us to the necessity of the Spirit to empower us to obey. If we don't have the Spirit, we cannot obey. And if we can't obey, we don't have the love of the Father. The Spirit is necessary. And the Spirit, Jesus says, is being given to you. This is the promise that Jesus has for them. And it is the promise that we get to live in today. There's a man um, who died this year whose name was Dick Hoyt. And he was notable because of the way that he lived his life. You see, Dick was the father of a, of a, of a man named Rick who was a quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. And one day, Dick... Uh, was invited to participate in a race to, com uh, to help raise funds for someone in their community who had gotten in a tragic accident and become a paralegic. And so Dick put his son in, in a wheelchair and he started to push him. And everyone thought, this guy's not gonna make it to the end, but he did. And he, he says, I didn't finish last, I finished second to last. But when Dick got home, his son Rick, who, who had to speak through a computer, he said, Dad, when I'm running with you, it feels like my disability disappears. And you know what his dad did for the rest of his life? He started running with his boy. He competed in 32 Boston marathons, over 1,000 races, and he did it so that his son could run. I'm sure the illustration breaks down somewhere in some ways with the Holy Spirit, but I think it's a beautiful picture of us. We are cerebral palsy people that can't move our arms and our legs. Left to ourselves, we can obey. But empowered by the Holy Spirit, we obey. A life without obedience is a life devoid of God, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we then have the ability to obey. 
And slowly but surely we do obey. This is the gift that we have. This is the gift that Jesus reminds the disciples of. When the bullets start flying over the head, he reminds them, don't worry, the Spirit will be there to empower you. The Spirit will be there to help you get through it. The helper empowers us, but there's a second characteristic that Jesus points the disciples to, to remind them to take heart, and that is that the helper embraces them, or embraces, the helper embraces. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again, 10 days after I graduated from high school, I moved away from the family to begin my college years. And I moved away to a part of the state where I lived that I never had been to. And while I was filled with excitement, I was also filled with great fear and trepidation. And I didn't realize just how bad this was until I, one day on the way home from the school golf course, I got lost. And mind you, this is before Google Maps. I know that's a hard concept for some of you younger people. Like, you just had a phone. Just type in your address. This is before those days. This is even before the days when you could have it on your dashboard. I didn't know where I was, and I got lost. And the fear and the trepidation of being on my own was a heavy burden on my shoulders. I remember driving around Tallahassee, lost and confused, too proud to, to ask for directions, mind you, and being so afraid. Eventually, I did find my way to a place, a sign, that it's Tennessee Street, okay, if I go down this way, I know that if I, it's not familiar, I can just turn around and go back this way, and I found my way. But it re revealed to me something quite important. Without my parents, without those that I've relied on for so long, life can be very scary. And I think Jesus knows this about the disciples, his last words, I think those are the, the weight of the last words that we often have, is that we won't have you anymore. You won't be with us to guide us, to direct us, to be with us. I think people have said when they lose their dad, that's when they really become a man because they become the one that have to give the direction. They don't have their father to rely on. And I think Jesus knows this about the disciples and he wants them to realize this truth. I'm going away for a time, but I'm coming back in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will embrace you. We might fear that when we go through trials, that when we go through tribulations, that we are all alone. But Jesus says no. Friends, you are not alone. I am sending the Holy Spirit to be with you, the helper to embrace you. Now I wanna highlight the two ways that I think the Holy Spirit will embrace the disciples and will embrace us because I think it is worth noting the particular ways that Jesus points out, the ways that the Holy Spirit will embrace us and the disciples. In verse 16, you can see this, if you look at this, Jesus says that the helper will embrace them forever. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, forever. There's not a place you will go. There's not a time you will, you will ever be out of the presence of the helper. He will always be with you. He will always be for you. You can't shake him off. You can't get rid of him. He will be with you forever. 
height or depth. He's always with you. The Spirit will embrace you forever. And we must lean into that truth that Jesus provides to his disciples, that the Spirit will be with them forever. But secondly, not only does the Spirit embrace us forever, he embraces us intimately. Intimately. Jesus says in verse 17 and in verse 18, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, there's three things I want to say about these two verses because I think there's quite profound. There's the three things. The Holy Spirit, number one, the number first one thing is the Holy Spirit is not yet with the disciples in that room. The Holy Spirit is with Jesus at that time. He's not there yet, but he's with Jesus. Jesus says, you know him, for he dwells with you. Who's dwelling with the disciples at that time? Jesus is still in the room. And, and, and basically what he's, he's, he's revealing to the disciples is the Trinitarian reality of, of, the, of the Godhead. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three persons in one Godhead. I'm with, I'm with you, I'm dwelling with you, but the Holy Spirit will one day be in you. So that's the second thing. He will eventually be in you. And the spirit that was in Jesus is the spirit that comes to the disciples at Pentecost. It's in you. Christ in you. The spirit of Christ is in you, united to you, intimately connected to you. And I love, thirdly, the last thing, the analogy of the orphan. Right? Orphans are those whose parents are dead or, or, or have been abandoned them. There's a sense that just like Jesus is about to die and go away, Jesus is using this same kind of analogy to describe the death he's about to experience. But he says to them, I will not leave you as orphans. You're gonna think that I'm dead and I'm away from you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I will come to you. Do you see this intimate language? I will know you as my sons and my daughters. I will be in you. The spirit of Christ, the, the helper, embraces us intimately. And intimately, he embraces us forever. It's a beautiful thing. And friends, we have this embrace now. The promised Holy Spirit is with us to those who have turned to Jesus and have trusted him and have looked to him, we have the presence of this intimate, eternal spirit within us so that no matter where we go, whether it be a job interview or on a date with a potential spouse or even your deathbed, the spirit of Jesus is with us, embracing us. Trust the word of Jesus. He promised his disciples. He showed us at Pentecost He's not leaving you. He's not forsaking you. He's embracing you. No matter your failures, no matter your successes, the Spirit is with you. He is with you. He is with you. When the bullets are flying over your head, he is with you. So the helper, the helper not only embraces us, the helper not only empowers us, lastly, Jesus reminds them or teaches them that the helper enlightens them. He gives them one last reason, both in verse 26 and in 20, for, to, to, for not to fear his absence, to not to fear the bullets flying over their heads. And how in the world 
is this possible? Well, Jesus says that he will, the Holy Spirit will enlighten them. You know, you have this idea is that how are we gonna remember all that you taught us? I mean, think about, think about the four years you went through college right now, if you've been through college. Can you remember the things that were taught in those classes? Can you? Yeah, right, not me. I can't remember, I, I, I struggle to even remember the classes that I took, like maybe like four classes, I mean like a few classes I can take, but the content of that. And so here's their teacher, he's getting ready to go, and they're going, you, Jesus, uh, Peter's already said, you have the words of eternal life, but they're going, how are we gonna remember this? How are we gonna remember this? And look at what Jesus says in verse 26. The helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. The helper, Jesus is saying, will enlighten your eyes and your mind to know the words that will be put down in Scripture, the words that will continue to guide and to direct you. The Holy Spirit will enlighten you. And I think this is so vitally important to us as Christians who have received the very words from the very apostles that Jesus is describing, that we have, the, have, have great um, assurance that the very words we are reading are the words that Jesus has given to us. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the very words of Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit enlightened these men to write the words accurately. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, and it gives me a lot of confidence in the word of God. And sometimes I have to see it articulated in very specific ways. And one of the things, one of the ways that I, I found it to be very helpful in thinking about scripture and the way that the scripture works together, the way that the scripture doesn't contradict itself, the way that the scripture was written over thousands of years and is still a unified whole, there's a, there's a passage in the Westminster Confession of Faith that I've kind of tweaked a little bit to help our modern ears, but it's so helpful to consider what the word of God is, not only how it was written, but how the Holy Spirit comes alongside it and enlightens us through it. Here's what it says. Westminster, this is, this is I, I try not to do this all the time, but here's what Westminster Confession of Faith says about the scriptures. It says, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the scriptures and the heavenliness of the matter the efficacy of its doctrine, the majesty of its style, the consent of all its parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection of it. These are all arguments that make it abundantly evident to be the word of God. Yet, notwithstanding, our persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by with the word in our hearts. Jesus has given the Holy Spirit, not only to the disciples to write the word of God, but he's given us the Holy Spirit to enlighten us to the truth of God's word that brings salvation, that brings us hope. But enlightenment of God's word and it's not only the thing that the Holy Spirit does. It's not the only way that it enlightens us. You can see in verse 20, skipping back up there, the helper enlightens our eyes to know that we have access to the Father in the Son by the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, Jesus says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. The Holy Spirit enables us to know that we are one with God as Jesus is one with God. That through faith in Christ that we are united to God and can know him intimately.
The Spirit gives us knowledge of our, of our relationship with God, a relationship that's defined by peace. My peace I give to you. Now, how can you know, know that you have the peace of God? How can you say with assurance, am I a Christian? Do I know the Father? And there's a seminary professor of mine, and it it's actually feels really kind of silly to say this, but I think there's a lot more truth behind it. I do think, I know there's a lot of tr truth behind it. But it's a test, and it's a test that I'm going to give to you so that you might check your heart to know, do I know the Father? Am I one with God? Am I, um, ex am I have, do I have the ability to access the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit? And here's the test. People will always come to him and they say, how do I know if I'm a Christian? And he says, I know you're a Christian from the mere fact that you're asking me, how do I know I'm a Christian? And he says, the mere fear that you have of whether or not you're a Christian is an indication that you want to be with the Father. And so you can know the fact that you're asking that question that the Spirit of God is working. It's a simple test. If you are sitting there going, how do I know the Father? Do you want to know the Father? It's the Spirit of God enlightening your heart. It's a simple test, but it's one of the best ways to do it. It's the people who don't ask the question, who just be like, I don't care. Those are the people that I worry about, but not those that are worried about it in the first place. The Holy Spirit enlightens our minds and enables us to ask the question and to come into his presence. This is the beauty of it. It's an enlightening spirit. My friend Brian um, was getting ready to go play golf a few, uh, two months ago with his mom's boyfriend. And tragically, the mom's boyfriend was run over by a car before they were able to play golf that day. And his name was Lloyd, and they rushed Lloyd to the hospital. And there was a lot of uncertainty at the time of when Lloyd, or was, was Lloyd going to make it? Was he not going to make it? And so as Brian was sitting next to Lloyd's hospital bed, and he's, you know, out of it, he's not there, he gets a voicemail. And it's a voicemail from Lloyd. And the voicemail was this. Brian, so excited to go play golf today with you. Cannot wait. I, I, it's so much, you know, like, it's gonna, I can't wait. We get to bring the boys out. It's gonna be so much fun. And then two days later, Lloyd died from the accident that happened. Those were the last words that he heard from Lloyd. And I think that's some pretty sweet last words that he had from Lloyd. We might think that these are the last words that Jesus gives to us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Do not fear. We might think, like Lloyd, these are the words that we have to hold on to, but the reality that Jesus says is that his word is continuing on. That we don't have to fear the last words being the last words. That we still have Jesus himself through the helper. The helper is a beautiful gift to us so that when the bullets come flying over our heads, we might stay the course because the helper empowers us to obey. He embraces us in our weakness intimately and eternally. 
and he enlightens us with the truth of his word and with the truth of our standing with him. My friends, trust that. Trust the Holy Spirit working in you. They are the very words of God guiding and directing you and pointing you back to the ministry of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we give thanks to you for the gift of the helper. We so often neglect this gift. We, 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 we so often rely on our own strength and our own um, will of just saying, I'm gonna get through this when you've given us your spirit. You've given us your present intimately and eternally. And you've given us a spirit that enables us to, to do the very things you've called us to do. What a gift that this is. And I pray that we as a church would stop and turn away from our self-reliance and begin to walk in step with the spirit, the spirit that you have given, the spirit uh, that is so uh, beautiful. May this be true of us. I pray this in Jesus' name.